Welcome to Closing the Digital Divide, the podcast dedicated to creating meaningful conversations and sharing valuable insights from industry leaders, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, and others on Closing the Digital Divide. I'm your host, Charles Thomas, and together we'll explore the policies, challenges, triumphs, and innovative solutions that are reshaping the digital landscape. I am very excited today. You know, I must have done something good in a previous life to have two such distinguished guests, not once, but twice here on Closing the Digital Divide. Uh, please help me welcome Managing Director of Borderhawk, Mr. Jay Harmon, and President for Public-Private Partnership for Ready.net, Mr. Scott Woods. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Thank Thanks you for having me. Pleasure to be here with you today. Yes, sir. All right. I can't think of two more qualified guests to uh, have a discussion on our topic today. And our topic today, and I've, I've kind of titled this Waking the Sleeping Giant. Our topic today is the cybersecurity and supply, cha supply chain risk management requirement in B. Uh, back in 2021, President Biden signed an executive order 14028 to improve the nation's cybersecurity. And we're seeing that in these programs and specifically in BEAD. We want to talk to that today. Um, my first question, gentlemen, is what does it mean? Um, and, and Jay, I guess I'm going to I'm going to direct this question to you. What does it mean to attest to a cybersecurity supply chain risk management plan? Well, it's a good question. Thank you. So I, the, the, the intent behind an attestation or certification is to is for the participant who's who's making the claim. Right. So first of all, it's a claim. I'm claiming that to the degree that you've asked me to do something, I'm, I'm attesting that I've done it. Right. And I and, and essentially the uh, the idea behind that is that it would be authentic. Um, it would be reflective of the request. Uh, and that the person is going on record making a statement that they have they have gone behind the scenes, if you will, and implemented or put into place in the case of BEAD and the EACAM program, um, that they're basically saying that that I've looked at the NIST CSF model, I have implemented a cybersecurity and risk, risk management program that reflects NIST CSF currently 1.1 uh, in, my, in my environment, uh, and I'm using that uh, environment and, and that program to uh, help reduce and mitigate risk uh, to the organization and to the um, supply chain and to the customers of, of my organization so as to ultimately reduce risk to the national security and the financing that they got by testing either through BEAT or ACAM, um, which which is is made available only if they made the attestation. And, and Jay, I want to thank you for also uh, mentioning ACAM in there. I, I left that out in my opening. Um, Scott, I want to direct this one to you at first, because um, I know you, you're you out, you're talking to a lot of state broadband offices, as, as well as Jay, but um, how are state broadband offices preparing for the cybersecurity supply chain risk management requirement? Yeah, thank you. Or are they? Let me, let me, yeah, let me rephrase that. Yeah. yeah. How I are they or are they? No, I think that's that's a great question. I'm glad we're here, with the expert with Jay, because um, quite frankly, state broadband offices or eligible entities for purposes of B 
are, are not focused on this as yet, right? I think not because they don't know about it. It's just right now their focus is on submission of their volume one and, and volume two uh, initial proposals and plans to NTIA, right? Uh, it's supposed to include that cybersecurity, but I want to follow up on a very important point that Jay made. Um, the cybersecurity and, and supply chain risk management requirements are on the subgrantee. So they will be on the uh, actual ISPs and um, the, the actual municipal uh, uh, nonprofit organizations, those that will receive money from the state broad broadband office to effectuate and implement uh, broadband networks and connecting the unconnected, right? From the state broadband office requirements, um, they have to provide the attestation that Jay just talked about. So when uh, an ISP or a project or nonprofit submits a request or a plan to uh, the state broadband office for consideration, they are going to have to attest uh, that they uh, uh, will meet the requirements of uh, the B cybersecurity and supply chain risk management plan. So just for notation purposes, this is all in the B NOFO. Section4.c.2.c.5. I think it's six. <laughs> you can see that. We'll put a page we'll, seventy. We'll that right. <laughs> um, but there are really four elements to this, right? They have to, mm -hmm. they have to attest that they uh, understand that they, that they that they have a cyber risk management plan in place, uh, that it's either operational or will be operational. Very important. Will be operational. Uh, if the if the grantee is not yet providing service prior to the award. So there is some wiggle room in there. Um, they, as Jay said, the plan has to reflect the NIST framework for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity, cyber that 1.1 version, as well as the standards and controls set forth in Executive Order 14028. Uh, and they also have to attest that it's going to be reevaluated and updated on a periodic basis. Uh, and then finally, the plan submitted to the state broadband office. Uh, if there are any changes, any of that new, those new changes have to be inputted to the state broadband office, submitted to the state broadband office uh, within 30 days. So that's that is what you are in fact uh, attesting to as an ISP, as a nonprofit, as a subgrantee uh, to the B program uh, pursuant to an application or project submitted to your state broadband office. So to be one, clear, one little, this is not a one-time uh, no, submission. No. no, it's periodic and 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 most likely to be annual uh, when it's interpreted. Uh, in the absence of a major change in your organization, it's they're going to be looking for most likely going to be looking for an annual update. Um, periodic tends to be determined as annual. Um, but back to one of the co comments you just made and the, and the NOFO makes, and it's will be operational or is operational. And mm -hmm. what's the difference, right? So when we're talking about a security plan, you can't turn this on. It's not like I'm going to enable a function and now my, my plan is on. Um, this is a program that 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 in order to initiate, go through the process that NIST CSF requires, um, that, you know, the outcome is not the is not what the goal is. So NIST CSF is a directive element, not a prescriptive element. Mm -hmm. And so they're not as concerned with the outcome. You're going to determine the outcome for your organization based on the process that NIST CSF is. And it's essentially a seven-step process. So my point for this is that when they say it's operational or will be operational, it takes about 90 days minimum to implement 
this program and to go through all the things that you have to go through because you have to go through the process. Now you could do it much faster. Okay. So I, I'm not saying it has to take that. Um, mm -hmm. but, but the, the ability to just say at the point of attestation, I'm going to be operational or, or I am operational that there's a pretty significant effort that you can't just turn on or off. So the effort, the activity has to be done prior to be ready to be operational, even if you're not operational. Right. So I just kind of wanted to make that nuanced point because again, it, it, it does in some people's mind, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, I can just determine the day that I'm ready and I'm, I'm ready to sign. And that's, that's, that's going to be a risky proposition if, if you did that without going through the process. So I can reiterate one more thing, Charles. Too, sure, go right ahead. Get to, these are two separate plans, right? There's one for right. cybersecurity, and then there's another one for supply chain risk management. So these are two separate, very similar requirements for the attestation, uh, yeah. but these are two separate plans that uh, sub-grantees are going to have to develop, operationalize, and then uh, you know, ultimately attest to uh, and implement more importantly, right? Ultimately, you want implementation sure. to ensure right. these networks that are deployed, the devices that are, that are provided um, are protected against, you know, what I call the wear attacks, right? Uh, malware or, or firmware or ransomware, any of those and other sophisticated attacks uh, to our to our nation's uh, network and uh, telecommunications and broadband systems. So um, th this is why it is so very important. Uh, because we are about to, in the next, you know, five, seven, ten years, bring on critical infrastructure and devices and connectivity. So we need to ensure that there are cybersecurity elements and risk management for for supply chain in place uh, to protect yeah. networks. Yeah. Well, 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 Scott, you, you, you. Uh, I had a question later on con uh, <laughs> to to that statement you just made there. So you're gonna make me jump to it. Uh, right now, and and this could be for either one of you guys. The threat actors out there are are also gearing up for this. There are going to be millions and millions of new uh, points of entry into the broadband ecosystem that's that's being built here. Um, how how do we protect ourselves against that? I mean, we 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 talked about this this uh, cybersecurity plan, supply chain plan. And, and, and really, if you think about it, that cybersecurity plan goes hand in hand with supply chain, right? Because if I can, if I can disrupt your supply chain through um, uh, denial of service or some other where, you know, um, yeah. that, that kind of stops the whole thing. Jay, I'd like to get your thoughts on that sure. first. Well, one, one interesting thing is NIST CSF, um, has has five elements built into it for supply chain and and then there's the 8271 and the 800-161 which are two two separate um processes that you would want to go through um it, it is fairly straightforward um to combine those two in the in a in a in a in a programmatic method inside an organization but you have to do it you can't you, you know you can't do you can do one and then the other that's creating two separate silos that's a little more effort than maybe is required but the process of going through both is required and it's uh it's also it's also considered best practice right and so the supply chain issues you know in this in this space we're really talking about the the cybersecurity supply chain so so who who are the organizations that i'm getting software from who are the organizations that that i'm in, interacting with 
that have um, different types of applications like remote management software or or the ability to go in and do tech support, um, understanding to the degree that those organizations have privileged access to my network, um, understanding if they have software that can operate behind the scenes but on its own with privileged access or credentials. Um, you know, that that's what we're going to be looking for initially in this cybersecurity supply chain plan is those those critical vendors to us, to 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 whoever the subject of the assessment is. And um, and we're going to be looking at who do we who do we use as vendors for the purpose of interacting with our cybersecurity components. So it could be MSPs, it could be um, app, you know, it could even be accounting software that we have running in the background. Because today, a lot of accounting off software has literally bots that code and and put things in the right place. And so running um, you know, kind of a shepherd process over those bots. What are they able to do on my network? And what can they do without authority, but they, without authority from a human, but they have authority um, inside the programmatic language that they have. And we just, we just enabled this activity into our network um, that could then be used against us, right? That's, that's where this concern is. And so it's going to mean that we implement some processes inside the organization to evaluate things like um, a built software bill of material. Uh, at, we're going to ask for our clients to be producing things like a software bill of material or um, what did they do in terms of multi-factor authentication or mm-hmm. encryption or privilege access control or background checks. So we're going to be asking these people this as part of our supply chain, but we're going to be asking ourselves the same thing. Right. So so even though and and we're in the supply chain for someone else. Right. So very few of us are at the head or at the tail of the supply chain. We're all getting stuff from other people. So we have to think about that as part of where are we, where do we fit in the landscape of the organization? But you're right. It's the, the, the it's called defense in depth. Uh, and so, you know, using any one tool. So we, we have some, you know, thoughts. So, you know, one, never trust the technology. Right. And so always have backup capability, have redundancy. Two is one. One is none. And so, you know, we, we always go in looking at, at how can we protect ourselves from a resiliency perspective in that way. But defense in depth is critical. And, and NIST CSF has the five core functions. It's built in that it's got NIST, it's got, it's got um, defense in depth. It's also got 28 um, major categories and 108 subcategories. So you can see the defense in depth can gets pretty granular as you go along. And so... Again, the idea that you're going to put this kind of um, process in place where you evaluate your organization so that you understand that you're applying this defense in depth, not just buying some tools. If buying some tools was all that was necessary, well, then then that's what the, the attestation would say, right? You need to go implement these processes and deploy these tools. That's not what the attestations say. They say you're going to implement a process that reflects NIST CSF in its current version. And so, which is 1.1. Well, again, that's a process. And if you go through that process, it will I, it will help expose the risk that you have inside your own, own organization and the dependencies on your supply chain. And when you realize that risk, you're going to then look at, well, what am I doing today that, that covers me on these areas of risk? Have I mitigated them? In some cases, you probably have. But in some cases, you may not have. And in those cases, you're going to document, I didn't meet these. I have a vulnerability here. I have a risk that's unmet, unmanaged. And now I'm going to put together a plan of action and milestones and a target profile. This is the process NIST says. 
I want you to develop a target profile. This is my desired state, and I'm going to look at the unmanaged risk, and I'm going to develop priority, and I'm going to prioritize my response, and I'm going to build a plan of action and milestone, and I'm going to allocate resources to that plan of action. At, when you've done that, when you started at step one and you ended at step seven and you had the plan of action and milestones, you've met the implementation aspect of NIST CSF 1.1. That's what NIST is asking for, or NTIA or FCC. That's what they're asking for. They're not asking for you to subscribe to some tools and pay for some tools without going through this process. The tools may be wonderful and needed. That's that's a different conversation. The process that you're attesting to is what we just partially what we just described, and it's those seven steps. And I think that's important, and that's how we're going to get our arms around this, is everybody's going to go through this process for themselves, and they're going to start identifying their own risk and 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 start quantifying their comfort level. Like ma each management organization, uh, inside each organization, their management, their leadership is going to have a risk tolerance. And, and, and they don't probably know how to do that today. And so the state broadband offices have kind of the same issue in in, ter in the terms of that that how are they going to communicate to these folks in their in their state the subrecipients um, or the EACAM providers how are they going to communicate to those folks that this this is what we mean so they are they going to ask for evidence are they going to ask for an audit you know I've heard I've heard both in talking to different states but they haven't deployed it to Scott's point, um, we haven't seen anything um, authoritative come out uh, into the market yet. Um, and so we're, you know, we're waiting. But but the challenge on the waiting is it takes time to do it. And mm -hmm. for the EA cam, we're there, we're going to miss the boat. There is no, there won't be any directive other than follow this CSF. Um, um, under BEAD and the states, we may have time yet to see actual directive come out that would help people understand sure. what it is I'm supposed to do. And from and from my perspective, Charles, I think this is why <clears throat> this podcast is so important to raise awareness. Uh, obviously, Jay and Border Heart are experts, right? He knows the requirements and he's working, you know, diligently uh, to make sure others, uh, ISPs, uh, understand those requirements. So we're raising awareness and the alarm right now. Mm -hmm that while you are working on your plans, while you are working with state broadband offices, while you're reviewing their local coordination efforts and their volume one and volume two submissions, and while you're preparing to go through the challenge process, oh, by the way, there are still these other requirements that you are mm -hmm. going to absolutely have to do. And these are critical components, not yeah. just the success of B, but obviously to the success of these programs and these networks as they are deployed. So if we're out on the front of these now, and ensure that there are some cybersecurity requirements and supply chain risk management action plans in place. When these new networks come on board, A, they're less vulnerable, right? Jay can talk to you all about the sophistication of the network attacks. <laughs> I know about the phishing emails that get sent to elderly and targets sure. saying that, you know, yeah. I'm in trouble. And if you don't wire me and give me access to your account right now, you know, we're in trouble. And then right. They do it now they have access to all of your information or your passwords or anything like that and so we're just raising raising awareness that this is important it is important not only to the success of b but it is also important to your network security your personal security your organizational security as you move forward uh, with the implementation of bead and, and and the deployment of these networks and devices to 
vulnerable populations, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there are digital right. equity components to this sure. as well that we can't ignore. Yeah. So, so Scott, just to follow up on that, then, in, do you believe there's there's a role for the state broadband offices to to play in in helping the um, the service providers uh, in developing and maintaining the cybersecurity and supply chain management plan? I think there's a role of them knowing what they have to let them know that there are requirements. But to put that burden solely on the state broadband offices, I think is unfair. Uh, that's why I'm excited to, to, to be able to partner with Jay, Charles, you and, and Borderhawk, you know, to work on, uh, you know, a webinar and some uh, classes and some announcements so that we can make sure that burden just doesn't fall on the state. Mm -hmm. Because as we all know, they're all created differently. You have some who are more sophisticated. They have teams of 15 to 20 plus staff. They can mm -hmm. probably do that. You have other uh, broadband offices who are just getting started. They may have two or three staff. It's not fair to say that in addition to the bead requirements, uh, uh, implementation and deployment requirements to then put in the cybersecurity and supply chain management on that uh, office as well. So we're excited to, to partner and be able to help. And again, the onus is on the uh, is on the uh, on the on the potential sub grantees, right? The ISPs, the nonprofits yeah. who are going to apply. That requirement is on you, is on them to be able to adhere to these requirements. And uh, we're going to do our best to help the state broadband offices get the word out, uh, but more importantly, to work with uh, the potential sub grantees to ensure that they have their requirements in place uh, to meet mm -hmm. these needs. So Scott, you brought that up, um, and um we're 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 excited about some of the um, partnerships and and uh, events that are going to be uh, coming up soon. Uh, can you and Jay share us about a little bit more about the collaboration you're 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 doing going forward uh, to help the sub grantees and 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 the and the um, and the uh, state broadband offices as well, right? They they need to know what those requirements are so that they can attest. Um, to uh, those attestment that what they're requiring their sub grantees correct to, they yeah. need to understand those requirements so I'll, I'll start briefly I'm excited that we're partnering on a webinar on our broadband.io community I believe it's going to be on October 19 but there's more mm -hmm. information coming uh, where, where Jay and the Border Hawk team and, and I my team really Jay because he's the expert we're going to provide, uh, you know, a basic one-on-one -on -one of what the requirements are, uh, and then there are some additional information and classes uh, that we're going to partner on that Jay and uh, Borderhawk will will provide to ensure that you know potential sub grantees understand those requirements, uh, and not just on their own. They actually have a team that can walk them through. <clears throat> all of those uh, checklist requirements and they can understand those. So um, we'll look forward to that. It'll be an announcement on that uh, forthcoming, but we're excited about this webinar, again, for community education to, again, raise that awareness, understand the overall scope uh, of the program, but then uh, obviously excited to partner on uh, some classes and modules moving forward to make sure that, you know, sub-grantees are walked through every element of those requirements from start to finish. So, Jay, over to you. Awesome. Yeah, so the webinar that we're talking about really ought to be, it, it will be a soup to nuts um, overview, high level. We're not going to get way down into the weeds, but really for leadership. We're really looking for leadership to be involved in these, in these because you're going to tailor your program 
by the way that you direct your staff and your resources to kind of go through and, and commit. And ultimately, the tone at the top matters, right? And so as you as you begin to direct from the leadership perspective and, and, and you ask the right questions and you give the right direction, your staff's going to go produce the information that you need. So the webinar is going to be really high level. It's going to, but it is going to start with, okay, so so what is the, what are these seven steps? Uh, what are they like? Okay, we can all read them on the website, but what does it mean you do, you know, behind the scenes when I when it says to do scoping or it says to do oh, um, orientation or prioritization or what is risk tolerance and how do I figure that out? So so at a real high level, the webinar is going to go through all of the the steps of NIST CSF so that an organization actually understands what bead and EACAM are asking them to certify to. Okay, it's it's going to be high level, but it's going to be from end to end. So you're going to understand the whole picture. And then it's and then and then there'll be other opportunities if if you want to take on additional um, in-depth research or participation in some classes where we'll actually work through your definition of those right so we'll be a, there'll be ways to be involved in that and we'll talk about those as well so we're we're nearing the end of our time here um but i, I want to ask one more question and and this could be for the both of you if a subgrantee chooses not to go through the process to be certified what happens? I'll I'll take that start off. I mean, to be quite frankly, you're you're failing our country, you're failing your customers, and you're putting um, critical infrastructure at risk, right? Um, and I think that we want to mitigate that. And I think it's a, it's the the responsibility is on is on all of us to ensure, you know, that we're not only protecting our networks, but we're protecting the people. Right, the people who are going to utilize the businesses that are going to be on the network, we owe it to them, you know, our existing customers, our future customers, to ensure that we have all of the requirements in place to have a safe and secure, you know, network and devices, et cetera. Because we don't want we don't want to breach, uh, we don't want uh, to put that critical uh, infrastructure at risk. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm a lawyer at heart, right? You know that, Charles. Like, if you don't do this, like that, you're putting your your ability to be uh, to be uh, uh, you're putting your ability to provide that critical communication infrastructure at risk, uh, your business reputation at risk because the framework is clear, the steps are clear, uh, and the onus is on uh, primarily the provider community, but also all of the subgrantees, so nonprofits, uh, colleges and universities, right, municipal networks. It's not singling one or the other out. Uh, but again, we have to make sure that we have zero vulnerabilities um, in this existing broadband infrastructure and the new broadband infrastructure that's going to be deployed. And again, equally as important, the individual users, right? The homes, the residents, the businesses, uh, the schools that are going to be on these networks. We owe it to them to make sure that we have all of these requirements in place. Uh, because as you said, Charles, bad actors are out there. They're targeting our governments, our our businesses, our homes, our, our grandmothers and grandfathers, right? They're targeting them every day and it's getting more sophisticated and more sophisticated every day. Scott, I'm gonna come at it from a little different angle. Um, all that's true. Everything Scott just said is true. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be more, um, 
uh, more true. I mean, it's just one of those things we have to deal with in our life as in the world that we live in, the digital economy, the digital environment, there is risk that is going to be ever changing. All right. We get new laptops, we get new phones, we get new updates on our iPhone constantly. Every one of those creates another wrinkle in the in the space. But I'm going to come at it from a little different perspective. So the White House Executive Order 14028 brought us back to the critical infrastructure environment. And originally, NIST CSF was created out of a prior executive order for critical infrastructure. And, our, and so, so NIST was authorized to go build a program for, to increase the, our protections around um, our, the, the nation's critical infrastructure. And so NIST 1.0 came out. NIST CSF 1.0 came out. Ultimately, it was updated to 1.1. By, by this time next year, it'll probably be 2.0. But the, the point is, is that critical infrastructure is inherently de- what, the org- what the nation depends on to, to, accom- to accomplish the task that this country does every day, millions and millions of ways. And so all these different businesses in critical infrastructure um, are, have been put on notice, if you will, that under the White House executive order. But there's no teeth in it. Okay, so the teeth in this case don't come from something like HIPAA or the national, the NERC, where there's where there's a regulatory framework or banking. The teeth come from the contracts that have been put into place by FCC for EACAM and by the um, uh, NTIA and Commerce through BEAD. Now we don't know if there's going to be additional teeth down the road. Right. And the and the only teeth that we see but that are that are obvious is that you sign an attestation. So why does that matter? So under critical infrastructure, the DOJ has established a cyber fraud division, right? And in 2020. That cyber fraud division, many of us have heard in the last couple of weeks about Penn State. So so Penn State has been signing an attestation apparently since 2017. And from what I've read, the CIO had some um, challenges with the way the organization was willing to make statements that were false to the in their attestation, so that they're they're documenting and telling the the federal government that we're doing something that you asked us to do, but we didn't do it that way. And so so right here we have a rub. Does intent matter? In most cases, and I'm not a lawyer, never attended a law school class. <laughs> But in most cases, people worry about intent. Well, I didn't intend to do that or, you know, but ignorance is no excuse of the law. Right. But in the case of of the when you sign an attestation, you're basically saying we did X. You asked us to do X. We did X and we're attesting to it. If you don't understand what X is and did and you still attested to it and then you didn't do it just because you didn't understand it, that doesn't excuse you from the rule. So the rule in this case and Penn State's finding this out right now um, is is that the CIO became a whistleblower? The whistleblower came and said we we manipulated documents. We, we they were false. They weren't authentic and true. You relied on them and you allowed us to do something for money. So so in the okay. So how does that compare here? EA Cam and Bead are both attestations that you have to put into place before you can get the money from the federal government to do the thing that you're signing up to do. So you're 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 putting yourself in the same situation. And so, okay, well, that's fine. And and it's inherently part of the process. What we're what we want to make sure doesn't happen is that organizations 
don't look at this and say, well, I can fix this later. I can get this done after the fact. If there ever is an audit and there's no obviously intended audit, right? There's nothing in the documentation that shows there's going to be an audit that may come out with the state's plan. We may see audits. We may not. But what we do know is the whistleblower fact is engagement is a fact. And and so the, there's something they, they refer to as trouble damages. So whatever your claim was, you're at risk of losing three times that whatever you were paid. And the whistleblower can get 15 to 20 percent of that. So we've incentivized this this sort of this world of uh, this possible cottage industry of people who are going to be whistleblowers in organizations to point out where we said we did something and we knowingly or unknowingly didn't do it. And and mm -hmm. that's going to create an audit right opportunity, yep. not by an audit firm, by the DOJ that's going to position them for litigation. And so, you know, the last thing that we ever do is sell through fear, but ignorance of a of a risk. This is a risk on your organization, and I'm in a risk management company, right? I want to be able to manage that risk. So when we go through a process and we look at what does the rule say, the rule doesn't say go buy some tools. The rule says go through the process that NISCSF has and reflect that in your program. And if you do, you're going to create evidence. Every step of the way, you're going to produce evidence and, and you're going to use that evidence to demonstrate the authenticity of your attestation in the event that you're ever it's ever alleged that you falsified. You made a false claim. Your attestation is your claim. If and the, if the claim ever comes out that you made a false claim, ideally, you would go back to your process and say, you may not have liked my outcome, Mr. Auditor, but you cannot. If I show you my evidence, say I didn't go through the process. So I, I had due diligence, I had due care, I had stewardship, and I'm, I was responsible, and I did what you asked me to do. Again, you may not like the outcome, but I, but that's not what you asked me for. You asked me to go through the process and use the process to inform myself on what my outcome should be. And that's the point that, I'm, that I think is so important right now is that these organizations are, are preparing to sign these attestations on October 2nd um, and, and that by, uh, well, they're going to choose EACAM by October 2nd and they're going mm -hmm. to sign an attestation by January 2nd uh, and then bead is at some point down the road, right? So it's sometime next sure. year. So you sure. do have time, but you don't have forever yeah. and it takes time to get these things done. And so I, I think the process mm -hmm. is important. Um, if you don't go through the process and you sign up for one of these things, you, you're creating some risk for yourself unnecessarily. All right, yeah, well, I'll jump in there real quick because I think sure. this is a great nuance that we just talked about where I was focused on the overall outcome. And you can see Jay understands the intricacies. What, what it comes mm -hmm. down to is liability protection, right? What, what does it mean to sign an attestation uh, and then fail to do all of the things that you would test to do? So we'll get into right. that in the webinar. I think you can right. see the nuance. It's not as simple as just signing the attestation and then going off and doing the checklist. You really, we right. really want everyone to really understand what the attestation means, right? What are you yeah. signing off? What's your liability and your risk? But then ultimately through the process, how is that protecting both the networks and the people? And then how yeah, do right. we put all of that together for really a wholesale and comprehensive understanding of what protection of cybersecurity and uh, and supply chain risk management really means for critical infrastructure. So you're getting a you're getting a flow. I'm going to moderate. 
I'm gonna let Jeff <laughs> do their thing. I'm gonna pull Charles, Mr. Thomas. I'm gonna pull you. I'm gonna moderate, <laughs> ask the questions, and let the subject matter experts and the smart folks, you know, walk everyone through. But I, I do want to just reemphasize: it is critical, right? State broadband offices at this point may not be as focused on that because of where they are in the timeline of the process. Right. But right. if we're not thinking about these things now, raising awareness, having an action plan in place, you know, we want to ensure that we're not putting the onus all on state broadband office to do this. NTIA has put out guidance. They put out the requirements. And now let's make sure potential subgrantees understand what they are and then can start putting action plans in place to ensure they hear, adhere to the requirements and, quite frankly, help help the state broadband offices out. Uh, yes, that absolutely. Yeah. Well, gentlemen. Um, I feel like I've just been in a room with two rock stars here. That that was uh, that was a really quick, fast, uh, too fast 30 minutes. We could we could go on and on, but I am 100% looking forward to the webinar and getting more information. I I think it's critical that we get this right. Um, we we don't want any and and Scott, you mentioned the the. the uh, Penn State deal. There, there's, there's a number of of people having issues around the country um, with with breaches, and and so we want to make sure we get this right. There's going to be millions, Scott. To your point, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of of points of entry that that are going to open up through ACAM or or through uh, BEAD. Um, a lot of these people are going to have devices in their hands, a lot of them for the first time. They are not aware of the challenges um, of cybersecurity. Yeah, you know, someone's going to put a uh, someone's going to put a uh, an app on their on their device. But if if that, Jay, to your point, if that tool is not aligned with the process then we still have an issue. So I'm looking forward to the webinar. Guys, thank you a lot. Um, we've come to uh, another end of a, of a great, great episode with uh, Jay and Scott. I appreciate you guys so much for coming on. Uh, the power to bridge the digital divide lies within each one of us. It is all of our responsibility to champion digital inclusion, advocate for equal access, and to embrace all of technology's potential to take us there. By doing this, we can create a world where everyone has a fair chance to thrive safely in the digital divide. Gentlemen, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care.